When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good, the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and talk about happiness, overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week on the podcast, I have Timba Smits. Timba is an award-winning designer, artist, illustrator, and part-time crime fighter, we'll get to that later, based in East London. He's also the creative director of the magazines Little White Lies and Huck. I could get into Timba's accolades. Founding and self-publishing the self-entitled magazine Wooden Toy Quarterly and his work with some of the world's largest brands including the New York Times, ESPN, Wired Magazine, Esquire, The Guardian, Men's Health, and Johnny Cupcakes. And all of that would be great, but I'd rather brag on Timba as a person. Timba has been a welcoming and generous figure in my life since we met a few months back. He has an incredible story of sticking up for people, overcoming pain, and continuing to create art and give back to his community. I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend Timba. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into this. I am on the line with Timba Smits from London. Welcome to the show, Timba. Thanks, Brandon. It's great to be with you. Man, this is so fun. I'm so glad that we're talking and catching up. You and I first met in Australia, what, like two months ago now? Yeah, I can't believe two months has gone by. But yeah, that was two months ago we met in Brisbane in Australia. Yeah, yeah. we were we were both speaking at a conference and mm-hmm. we met at the hotel we were both staying at, and we uh, we shared an Uber together, which was a beautiful, wonderful experience. Yes, I, I remember I remember coming downstairs and not really knowing where to go or who was meeting me, and I, I, I see this lovely young chap and his lovely young wife sitting on a, on a, <laughs> on a couch on the other side of the room, and I, I went up and uh, introduced myself, and because, uh, you know, I knew, I knew you were one of the other speakers, but I hadn't met you at that stage. And because you're also the friendliest man in the world. <laughs> Friendliest, tallest man in the world. Friendliest, tallest man. <laughs> which makes me kind of like that movie that's out at the moment. The BFG? The BFG, which I'm going to see on Thursday night. Very excited. Good, good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. So, yeah, I um, I waltzed over, uh, asked if you guys were going to the conference and yeah, next thing you know, we're in an Uber together. And that's, that's how it all started. And on that Uber ride, we told you that after the conference was over, we were going to go to Melbourne, which is the Australian way of saying Melbourne um <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> yeah you like that that's that's how we americans say it melbourne well it's the it's the correct way of saying it we're just lazy and we shorten everything to melbourne if your name's steven we call you steve-o if your name's <laughs> damien we call you damo yeah your name would be brando not brandon yeah well i mean 
that sounds about accurate, actually. Everything was short. <laughs> Fantastic. But so, yeah, we told you that we were going to go to Melbourne, and uh, you told us that that's where you're from. And I gave you my phone number, I gave you my email, and you said you were going to reach out because you used to live in Melbourne, and uh, and you had some recommendations for us. That's right. I mean... You know, when I met you guys, I just thought these are, you know, people I don't want to just, you know, briefly meet in an Uber and at a conference in in Brisbane. I just, you know, when you get that feeling when you meet people and you're just like, oh, I want to spend more time with these with oh. these these crazy kids. And um, <laughs> I heard you, were, I heard you were going to Melbourne, and I thought, well, heck, I'm from Melbourne, and I, there's nothing I love more than giving people like little hints on where to go to have like, you know, the best experience. Yeah, and I love my home city. I left Melbourne for London, not because I didn't like my city or, you know, running away from family or troubles or anything. I just, you know, I, I left for creative purposes and I really miss Melbourne. And every time I go back there, I have such a hard time, like, you know, going, I have to go back to London again, but London's exciting and Melbourne's exciting. And so, yeah, when I found out you were coming down, I was like, well, you have to see my exhibition. I just opened it. Um, a week before, like just before coming up to that conference actually and where we met and I also, yeah, gave you a couple of, I remember giving you a couple of recommendations of places to go. They were amazing. Um, gave, gave you the address of the gallery, which you went to, which was amazing. Yeah, we got <laughs> off the plane and the first thing we did was we just said, take us to the gallery um, to our taxi <laughs> driver and, and it was amazing. We loved it. That's so cool. And then, yeah, I gave you the address details of where I was having a going away party with all my friends and family. And I didn't think much of it. I was just like, you know, hey, come. And I, you know, completely forgot that it was literally going to be all of my family and all of my <laughs> friends. And I sometimes forget how daunting that can be for some people. Um, we, I mean, I did the same thing when I met my girlfriend for the first time. I was like, hey, first date, why don't you come to this like, um, you know, this exhibition opening that I'm going to be at? And then when she got there, it was like, I want you, I want to introduce you to my cousins. These are my <laughs> friends. This is, And she was like, oh, my God, first date. What's going on? <laughs> we were so honored by it, though. We were blown away. We're like, we're in this other country and this guy invited <laughs> yeah. us to meet his family and to eat. What did we eat with you? Chicken parmas? Uh, chicken Palmers. Explain what that is for me again, because I don't remember anything other than the fact that it was delicious. It's basically the breakfast or lunch or dinner of champions. You can <laughs> eat it any time of the day, when it, whenever you want. Heck, you can have it as a midnight snack if you want. You can have it for 11sies in between breakfast and lunch, <laughs> whatever you want. There's, there's no rules when it comes to chicken palmers. So, basically, a chicken palmer is a oven-baked chicken escalop, so it's like crumbed. And it's got parma ham, which is where you get the parma in chicken parma from, with a Napoli sauce covered in cheese, oven baked, sitting on top of the hugest stack of French fries. And then it comes with a little bit of a salad because it's not really the healthiest meal. But <laughs> it's the tastiest meal. And uh, it's something that you have to do. Anybody that is going to Australia, you can find a chicken parma almost anywhere. But the best ones are in Melbourne. For sure. Well, and we ate that and it was incredible and met your friends and your mom and it was a wonderful experience. And so, that was the moment where I was like, this dude is amazing because you just invited us into your into your family and you invited us into your, your life and you didn't know us at all except for an Uber ride and maybe seeing me talk on stage. 
Yeah, I mean, it was. It was so fleeting when we met, but I just, you know, I, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm big on energy and, and I picked up great energy from you and Sammy and I just wanted to see you again. And it was just, you know, it was meant to be. You guys are going to Melbourne. We got the, the chance to hang out for an afternoon. And uh, here we are two months later having a fine conversation about it. It's so incredible. It, it, uh, it all worked out for the best. <laughs> so, the, the conference that we spoke at, was a design conference. And I'm not a designer, but you are an incredible designer. Um, and I want to get some backstory. How did you get started in the design world? And more so, I want to say, like, what was it at a young age that formed the way that you saw the world? Because you've got a very unique style uh, to the type of art that you create. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we met at, 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 a, at a design conference. It's, it's called the design conference, but I, I like to think that it was all, you know, all forms of creativity. I mean, totally. you're, you're, a des- you're a designer as well. Like, you, you know, you design stories, you, you, um, you know, take amazing photographs. Um, there's a designer in you. There's a designer in everyone. Anybody that like, you know, loves to create, loves to clean a lounge room, they're a designer. Mm. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, we look around and everything's like designed in some way, shape or form, but, um, it's it's funny because I, I don't really call myself a designer. Um, I never really know what to call myself because I do so many different things. Um, lately, I've just been throwing around the idea of like, you know, saying, hey, I make magic with a pencil, you know, <laughs> or I make magic with a Wacom tablet. And because um, I grew up drawing um, and then I moved into painting when I was at high school. Um, and then after high school, I you know, wanted to be the greatest paint, painter that ever lived. And um, I, I, I knew that, you know, it was going to take some time. And so, I, I studied graphic design and learned how to use the computer for the first time. After saying in year 11 that I would never, ever, ever touch a computer, those things are for losers. Quote, <laughs> I said that at one point and here I am like, you know, gosh, 20 years later and I've, I've you know, built an entire career out of using the computer. But... Um, yeah, I do so many different things that I'm, I'm more of, a, you know, a painter, an illustrator, a graphic designer, an image maker, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it all sort of started when I was at high school. I had an amazing art teacher and I had an incredible graphics teacher and the two of them were my first mentors. I, I mean, I remember my, my art teacher saying, Timber, you, you don't need to go to art school. It's a waste of time. Just go out there and do it. And I mean, what teacher says that? <laughs> you know? uh, it, it was incredible. Um, I guess because I just, I just showed such um, passion and persistence and um, experimentation at, at, at high school. He, he felt like I'd actually be restrained if I was, if, if, mm. if I went to college. That's good. And they tried to, you know, they tried to teach me, you know, via a textbook. Um, so it was in year eleven when I first, when I had the first light bulb moment. Um, it's a funny story. I call it the Mr. Barron incident. And I think I, I think I talked about this at the conference. Yeah, I think I remember this now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's part of my like, um, I do talk about this when I, when I speak at events because it, it, it literally is the foundation. It's where everything started for me. So, I was into drawing, I was into art and I had an amazing art teacher and in an amazing art room, had all the materials there and um, my friend Craig who didn't study art. He was really big into football. And he was telling me that like every Friday night um, that the Australian Football League have this banner competition, right, where you can paint your 
team banner. Now, I wasn't really big into football. I had a team and so, we painted this banner for Craig's team being the, the Essendon Bombers, they're called. And I remember it was for this player who had uh, hurt his knee and he was out for the entire football season. And so, I painted him onto this huge two-meter by two-meter canvas and it was Michael Long, who's an Indigenous football player, uh, dressed up like the Terminator, spinning a ball on his finger, riding a Harley Davidson saying, I'll be back. No, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, we haven't got to the most incredible part yet, but um, <laughs> I'll get to that. <laughs> now, Craig went to the football match. I stayed at home to watch it because, uh, you know, wasn't really into football all, all, all that much. Now- I'm sitting there watching the football and the camera pans across the crowd and there's Craig and his friend holding up my banner. And it was a pretty proud moment. I mean, this is being watched by millions of people like throughout, throughout the country. And then if that wasn't enough, Bruce McAvaney, who is this like all-time legend football commentator. Um, I don't know. Who's, who's like the big football commentator over there in the States, would you say? You know, I have no idea because I am the worst sports fan ever. <laughs> hey, I'm in that club. Don't worry. It's cool. <laughs> um, well, he's just, he's a big deal basically. And, and, and he, uh, he stopped on our banner and said that this was the winning banner and it was the best banner that he'd seen all season. And Incredible. Yeah. I, and I just, I lost it. I remember screaming out to mom like, mom! Come here, this is amazing. Bruce McAvaney just said my banner's like the best banner he's seen all season. Oh my gosh, we won, we won, we won. Um, and so the prize was this like thousand dollar voucher for um a sort of like a I don't know, do you have B and Q over there? N- no, um, I don't think or, so. Or, or or bunnings at all? Like these these big these big sort of like uh wet warehouse tools um Shed, <laughs> so basically DIY, DIY home furnishings, oh, all that okay. sort of stuff. Yeah. So, we won this $1,000 gift voucher for that because they were the sponsor of this banner competition. Hmm. Anyway, I remember going into school on like Monday and just, uh, you know, everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yours and, your, yours and Craig's like banner one. This is so cool. Um, like, you're famous. Rah, rah, rah. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. But- the craziest part was was going into the art room and everything just like piecing together because to paint the banner, I, 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 I stole some of Mr. Barron's canvas to paint it, <laughs> right? Now, and little did I know that Mr. Barron's football team was the Essendon Bombers oh, and he wow. was the biggest football fan and he was watching the football that night. And on Monday- <laughs> He put two and two together, um, Craig and Timber's banner one. I'm missing two meters of canvas. The, ba- the banner looked about two meters. And so, <laughs> this was uh, a funny moment because Mr. Barron was like so angry but so proud of us at the same time. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And, uh, and he was like, so, what are you going to do with like the, nine- the $900? And I was like, what do you mean $900? It was 1000 And he goes, no, it's 900 because you've got to pay me back for the canvas that you stole. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was like the first moment for me. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've just done something with my art. Yeah. Like something, something big. I, you know, this, this has just gone from like me doing something fun and actually like 
making a career out of it. I can do this. This can be my job. And that, yeah, I've just basically followed that same, you know, mentality all the way through till now. Like I, 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 I make money out of having fun, <laughs> you know, which is, which is incredible. That describes you so well. You make money out of having fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, it's never really felt like a, a job to me ever since, Man. you know, high school. It's been hard work, but never really felt like a job. At that point, did you feel like you were just on a separate path? You know, did it feel like, yeah, I guess what I want to ask is, did you feel different than your peers at that point? Did you kind of veer into this different direction? Um, I felt, I felt really, I felt really privileged. I felt really lucky that, you know, I had this, this sort of talent um, and I never really knew where I got it from. Uh, we have a few creative people in our family, but nothing along the likes of drawing or painting or, or design. And yeah, I guess I, I really enjoyed, you know, finally feeling like I had a purpose that this was all meant for something big. And you know what it's like when you're growing up. Some people like find their calling like so early in life. Some people, yeah. you know, I've got friends who are still, you know, like traveling the world, just trying to work out what they're doing. And that's totally fine because one day it's going to click and they're going to find something really awesome. And, you know, they've spent all their youth like traveling and experiencing and having all this fun. And I, I've, I've sort of been the opposite. I've worked really hard. I've been very career driven and had a lot of fun in the process, but haven't, you know, like travel the world as much. And I guess personally, I felt really lucky that at such a young age, I knew exactly what I wanted to do um, because that suited me really well. And um, up until I was 18, I was actually into tennis, like in a big way. Hmm. And I was either going to be a tennis pro or an artist and they were <laughs> both competing. And then, I, you know, this banner thing happened with Mr. Barron and- I, at the time, was getting a lot of back injuries from playing too much tennis, which um, I still, you know, deal with now. I've got a bad back. But um, I just thought, I think I'm going to do better in life as an artist than I would as a tennis player. So, I chose that and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And then, okay. And so, let's fast forward a little bit. How much yeah. longer did you stay in Melbourne before you jumped over to London? Cool. Well, I, I, I stayed in, um, in Melbourne right through till uh, I finished school in, in like 1998. I studied like, graphic design in 2010. And then between 2010 and 2009, uh, which is when I left to come over here to London, I did lots of things. I you know, worked as a graphic designer. I opened a couple of art galleries. I started a magazine. Um, and eventually, that magazine took me to London. Which magazine was and that? So, this was called Wooden Toy Quarterly. Yes. The only quarterly magazine to come out once per year. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of it. <laughs> um, so, I started that magazine with a friend of my brother's in 2005. Um, he'd just come back from London actually. And I was still, you know, just kind of doing freelance design here and there, odd jobs for different studios whilst painting and exhibiting my work and selling that. And sort of probably doing a a lot more procrastination than anything really great <laughs> at, that, at that stage. <laughs> Hence the, uh, the only quarterly magazine to come out once a year. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so he came back from um, the UK and wanted to do something and I wanted to do something, you know, really meaningful as well. And so, we put, we put two and two together. He, he had a journalism degree, I had a graphic design degree in this art background and, you know, we were, it, it was totally ripe for a magazine. Um, so, we started one up 
didn't really know what the hell we were doing. Um, heck, to this stage, I still don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> um, that's the beauty of it. Uh, and that magazine really took off. So, between 2005 and 2009, I think that were probably my most formative years as a designer, as an artist. Like, everything just started falling into place. Um, I discovered I was very good at making magazines um, because I'd never done them before. And I just, you know, approached it with a really sort of intuitive or intrinsic sort of approach. And and um, I just went with my gut instinct and I created something that was purely different. And I think that set the foundations for like my style today and my attitude uh, about creativity and my design process. Um, and in 2009, I really wanted to grow the magazine overseas, uh, but it was incredibly difficult trying to do that from Australia because mm. not only is it so far away, there's a huge time difference. It's expensive to post magazines from Australia to anywhere in the world. And I was having a really hard time. So, a friend of mine said, you should enter this like competition, Timber. And, you know, I hadn't entered a competition since that banner competition way back in high school. And I thought, well, hey, it can't hurt. So, <laughs> you're one for one so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, and so, the midnight of the deadline of this competition, I entered it, um, classiclastminute.com and- <laughs> Yeah, I got a call up like that week saying, "Hey, you've been you've you've been shortlisted. Like, um, we're going to fly you up to Sydney for this interview." Wow. Um, so next thing, I'm on this plane going up to Sydney to pitch my my dream to the British Council. So the British Council every year in Australia run this competition called the Realize Your Dream Award, and it's open to all ages. Um, or at the time in 2009, it was limited to th- like 30 years and below. Okay. But now it's all ages and it's all like walks of creativity and all types of people. And my dream was to grow my magazine internationally and, uh, and, and reach more people, engage with more people and give more and more artists a platform to leap off because the magazine was all about art and, and design. And I profiled lots of young emerging illustrators and artists and established ones too. And it was a, it was a, you know, great, a great way for them to, to you know, launch their career. Mm. Um, and I got so close in 2009 um, and I just missed out. I got to the finals of that competition and I came runners up, which was still a huge achievement. Out of like the whole of Australia, I got down to like the final 12 people. And, you know, this is, you know, some, something that I've, I've done my entire life, whether it be in a creative sense or whether it be uh, in my personal life, you know, you fall off the horse, get back on it again, Yeah, you know? So, I jumped back on the horse and I applied the following year thinking, well, I got so close last year. I've, I've had a whole other year's experience and I've got two more magazines under my belt yeah. plus, you know, a gallery now and all this sort of stuff. And and I, I, I went straight through. Like, I, I, I got to the finals again and I ended up winning in 2010. Incredible. And it was- the biggest achievement that I that I'd ever had. It, it kind of you know <laughs> it's it superseded my uh, you know my banner competition win, <laughs> um, and yeah, I was given an all expenses paid trip to the UK to meet with um, other magazines and galleries and distribute my magazine and have a launch party. Um, mm. And the most exciting thing for me was. Um, 
I was given my ticket and the certificate for winning by none other than Kate Blanchett in person. <laughs> she was she was one of the guests of honor at the awards ceremony. So funny. So I was, yeah, I, I was sent to the UK by Galadriel, which is just incredible. <laughs> Galadriel being you know her character out of Lord of the Rings. So it was pretty magical. Yeah, <laughs> so good. And um, three months later, I'm on a plane. I've left my life in Melbourne behind, and I'm off to the UK. And originally, the the the, the awards program was meant to be you know you come to London um, for a couple of months, learn from peers. And then come back to Melbourne and and and, and adopt that, you know, um, ad, ad, sort of adopt everything that you've learned and the experiences you had. But I got here to London, she's like, you know, the front line of creativity, and just went. There's no way I can go back to sleepy <laughs> Melbourne. Like, I love Melbourne. It's got a great creative scene, but this is epic. This is like Melbourne on steroids. Next level. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, and here I am, seven years later. That's incredible. It. Yeah, and so you were working on wooden toy when you first got there. That was kind yeah. of you. You just dove all in. Um, yeah, and then wooden toy came to kind of a sudden halt um, in 2011, if I'm correct, right? It, yeah, it did. And uh, there was you basically had you had an incident. Um, do you want to talk about your attack? Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd, uh, I'd be happy to talk about my attack. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty heavy. Uh, I'll try and keep it as lighthearted as possible. Um, I mean, everything came to a halt at that point in my life. I mean, um, the first year and a half in London was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I was I was going from I was leaping from like rock to rock and just you know getting further and further across this like huge river that I'd been trying to cross my whole life. You know, everything was everything was working out perfectly. I'd launched a, my magazine. It got such a great like response. I'd been picked up by all these brands like wanting to design for them mm. as well. And I remember this one week like sitting in my studio, I'd actually employed a friend of mine at the time as well, like Gordon, who um, you know I've known for 10 years. And I felt so chuffed that I could give him this opportunity. Mm. And I was sitting there in the studio. Sun was coming through the window. We had Erica Bardu on. It was like late in the afternoon. It was really warm. We had a couple of beers. And I just went to Gordon Flash. His name's Flash as in Flash Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Flash, life is really, really great right now. This is so good. Like, you know, here we are sitting in the studio working together. This is pretty awesome. Um, I'm, I'm doing the work that I always wanted to do. Yeah, and things are really good. And then exactly like a week later, um, my life just got turned completely upside down. I was on my way to work um, to, meet, to meet Gordon who was already in the studio. Uh, we had a couple of interns coming in that day as well, I remember, for, in, for interviews. Um, it was going to be a big day. I was on a deadline for a job and I was running late and I had to race for this bus and I got on the bus and um, just how much different life would be if I hadn't got on that bus as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I raced to get on this bus and I just made it on and I sat down and I am got my, my head in my phone because my girlfriend at the time, she was in New York and uh, I was going to meet her in two weeks time actually for like for for a four-week holiday and um i was texting her and then shortly into the the bus ride there was some commotion happening at the front of the bus and 
I looked up and I saw these, you know, three young kids just being stupid, being silly, um, you know, abusing passengers, just messing about. You know, we, we, you know, we see groups of kids like this all the time. Um, but this escalated. Um, I kept a close eye on them. Um, and at one point I was thinking, you know, is the bus driver going to do anything soon? Because they were just, they just wouldn't leave anyone alone. Anybody that got on the bus, they were harassing them. They had their legs across the seats and mm. just, uh, you know, uh, just being stupid kids. Yeah. Um, until, uh, you know, a, a, a pregnant, you know, woman got on the bus and, you know, they said some horrible things to her, wouldn't move their legs. The pregnant woman got really distressed. And then shortly after that, an elderly passenger got on and they did the same thing to her. Well, mm. I just couldn't stand it anymore. I stepped up out of my seat and I said, I cut it out. Like, pull your heads in. Like, would you speak to your grandmother like that? You're really elderly pensioner, probably, you know, in her 70s. Yeah. And she was just like, she was about to go out the door and into the other door of the bus, which is basically what they were saying, you know. So basically, you know, um, in un- in an unsavory way, the kid was just like, you know, fuck off, like go get in the other door to this like pensioner. And it was at that point where I was like, just don't speak to people like that. And I just got up and yeah, said, guys, pull your heads in. And next thing, you know, I diverted their attention, which is a good thing, away from the other passengers to me. Mm. And he, you know, this one kid, Sanchez Brown, his name is. Um, you know, came pacing up to me at the back of the bus and I was sitting down, no threat and got right up in my face, screaming, yelling, spitting in my face. And I was just like, okay, like settle down. Passengers are on the bus now. Just, you know, let's just be cool. And, um, he was, you know, verbally spitting at me and then, and then, um, yeah. And then I just told him, listen, like, what's with this attitude just please go sit down so we can all go about our day peacefully and i just don't think he liked being told what to do he'd obviously mm-hmm. you know had a bad day had a bad life yeah and uh and it just went tropical from there next thing you know he's like punching me throwing punches mm. lots of punches i remember wow. getting hit so hard that like i blacked out my my head hit the window and it cut open my right eye and wow. that's you know I, I lost a couple of seconds i didn't know what was going on uh, but then I, but then I came to it and it was still just, you know, it was barrage of punches. And at that stage I got up out of my seat and I think I, at first like frightened him with my size. Cause because, you're a tall you know, guy. I'm, you're a big guy. <laughs> yeah. Tall timber, they call me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, I think I threw him with my size. Um, and I was in a daze, but my, my, Internal defensive mechanism was just like you got to fight back, or this is you know oh, this is not going to end end well. And I'm not a fighter; I would never ever start a fight. Mm-mm. I try to avoid them wherever possible. Um, but in this situation, this is the first time in my life where I went shit. I think I'm going to have to fight for my life here, <laughs> you know. And I and I got up and I so sort of fell on top of him, and we fell into the seats on the opposite side of the bus. And at this stage, I didn't know what the hell was going on in the bus. I didn't know whether the bus had stopped, what was what the other passengers were doing. And I remember having him restrained. I had his arms down. He, you know, he couldn't throw any more punches. And I, I felt like I had the upper hand until mm. like one of his friends came up behind and like pulled my shoulders back. And and at that stage, I, I lost my grip on him. And that's when it came out. He pulled a knife out of his pocket. Oh, wow. And stabbed me uh, twice in the stomach. And, and 
at that point, it was really weird because he'd been throwing these heavy punches and then all of a sudden it was just these really light pats. Mm. They felt really weird. And I was like, what was the, what's with that? And then we started, you know, getting into a scrap again. And then I noticed blood and I looked down, I just see blood just like pouring out of me and I just went into a state of shock. I, uh, you know, I saw a knife in his hand and I backed off just going, dude, like get the, you know, like, get the fuck away from me. Like, what the hell? What the hell? And as I'm trying to get away, he comes at me and stabs me in the leg, like, again. Ugh. And at this point, everybody was freaking out on the bus screens. The bus had stopped. They hit the emergency exit on the bus and and, and just ran for it. Um, and then <laughs> the, the – uh, I mean, you know, I try and find funny situations in, in everything. And I look back at this and just go, the funniest thing about that day was – it was the first and only time I've ever gotten off the bus in my undies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here, here I am one minute, you know, like fully clothed on the bus and the next minute paramedics are like pulling me off this bus in my undies because they've literally cut all my clothes off to try and, you know, stop this, you know, bleeding. Wow. And it was, it was very, I was very lucky because it all happened out just outside this um, fire station. and. Um, like firemen paramedics, was that what you call them? Fire yeah. paramedics um, on scene. And if it wasn't for them, um, it could have been a, a, a lot worse because I was, I was losing a lot of blood and, and you know, the, the paramedics, the hospital p- paramedics who arrived said if it wasn't for them, it would have been a lot more serious. So, very thankful about that. And um, Are you aware that all this is happening at this point? Uh, like you're getting unloaded from the bus and... Uh, literally in a daze, I, I kind of, yeah, I remember, I remember being like, um, you know, carried off the bus, put onto a stretcher outside all in my undies <laughs> and, uh, and then put into the back of this ambulance Man. and taken off to hospital, Can't which imagine. is where I spent, you know, just over a week and a half. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really full on. It was, um, you know, my, my friend Gordon was at the studio, not knowing what the heck was going on. He was trying to call me. And then he gets, and then he gets a call from this police officer who I gave my phone to, and said, "Can you please call this guy and just let him know what's happened?" Mm. And obviously, like you know, Gordon freaked out. He's raced straight to the hospital. Yeah. And then these poor interns like turned up all day, and there was nobody at the studio. Oh. <laughs> so I felt really bad. I felt really, really bad for them. And you know, it's, it's funny because I met this like designer actually uh, recently, probably. Uh, it would have been about seven months ago and her name like, seemed really familiar. And then I was having dinner with her and a friend and my girlfriend and she, she just went, you know, we almost met once before. And I was like, yeah, just thought your name's really familiar. And she said, yeah, I turned up that day at your studio the day that you got stabbed. Like I was, I was coming to the internship interview. And I was like, no way. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so freaking sorry about that. <laughs> like you would have been waiting around for hours. <sighs> um, yeah. And it's, it's little things like that, that like, you know, kind of are a reminder to, you know, I always have these constant little reminders about that day, about that attack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, either by meeting someone or, you know, somebody asks me how I'm doing or, you know, I, I hear of another similar attack in the news and it takes yeah. me back. And, you know, I'm just really connected to that day Man. now. So, yeah, I, I spent a week and a half in hospital and then I spent a further two months just like rehabilitating at oh, home, yeah. like not even being able to like stand up. Literally, I, my leg was in such bad shape. 
um, that I just had to stay horizontal in bed for such a long time. And that's caused lots of like physical problems for me, mm. like even now, um, which I'm working a lot on. Um, the, the hardest thing was the mental side. Yeah. Um, so, at first, it was just shock. It was just traumatic shock. Like, holy crap, I can't believe this happened. I'm in hospital. I'm pepped up on morphine, feeling pretty happy actually <laughs> on morphine. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was the first and only time I've ever had it. And I just remember just going, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. I can hear every single bird outside. The window's <laughs> closed. What's going on? I've like grown superhero powers. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I just um, had to call everything off. I had to call my work off, like all the clients that I was working on. Mm-hmm. Had to tell, you know, and I, I I couldn't do it. I had to, you know, like get Gordon to do it, like speak to my agent, and then get my agent to get around to everyone to tell them what had happened. Um, and yeah, it was just more of like kind of physical shock at first. And then there was lots of media attention. So, I was very much like distracted by that. Lots of people asking me questions and interviews and whatnot, which I felt I didn't have to do, but I felt like I felt responsible hmm. to get involved in discussing like this issue and how we can potentially like overcome it and stop it from happening again to other people. Yeah. And I've done a lot of that since, and but the first year was was spent really rehabilitating myself physically. Um, I took a year off work. I stopped everything. I stopped my magazine, wooden toy. I stopped working for clients. Um, everything just sort of went off um, creatively. I I didn't pick up a pencil for that entire year. I spent a lot of time doing Pilates and going to the gym for swimming and um, counseling, psychotherapy. Um, no, sorry, psychotherapy came later. I was doing counseling uh, because it wasn't until a year and a half after my attack that's when I really hit the floor, like mentally. Mm. So, I went through court cases and everything. My, my attacker was convicted. He's still in prison now um, and will be for a while longer. So, that was all very hard, having to face him in court, um, going through that process. And then just, you know, friendships like falling apart. Like my girlfriend my girlfriend at the time who I was going over to visit in New York, well, we broke up because she didn't come back. Um, and I took that really harsh. Mm. Lee, harshly, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just kind of messed everything up. Everything from career to work to friendships to relationships to my physical self to my mental self, everything just deflated. And when I, when I think of you, I think of you as somebody who is optimistic and positive. And obviously, you're able to look back and, and have a little bit of a sense of humor about getting off the bus in your undies and um, yeah. and other things. But when did that come along? When did the sense of optimism? Because it wouldn't be fair to expect that from you the moment that this no. happens. That would be... I th- Yeah, I think anybody that bounces back after something like that and is just like super optimistic is fooling themselves. Like it's a it's an invisibility cloak. Totally. Um, and I probably did that a little bit um, in that first year through doing lots of Pilates and doing lots of gym work and swimming. And I felt actually considering my injuries, which took about the first five months to heal in the next six months of that first year afterwards, I felt physically 
the best I'd ever felt in my life wow. because I was applying myself like three days a week to intense Pilates, swimming every day because I had nothing else to do. Um, that's what I was focusing all my time and energy on. But then I realized that that was my invisibility cloak. That was me going, I'm running away from my, I'm swimming away from my problems. I'm stretching away from my problems. There's going to have to come a point where I need to like face this, you know, and get back into my creativity and, you know, reconnect with people and all this sort of stuff. And I was going through some other troubles as well, like some visa issues. And I won't, I won't get into that like uh, in any detail, but my, my original visa that I came over to London was expiring. And so, I needed to renew it. So, I applied for a compassionate leave to remain visa to stay here in, in London. Mm. And it was towards the end of that first year after my attack. And I was still waiting for the um, answer to my compassionate leave to remain, remain visa. And I got a letter back from the UK BA and the whole time that I was waiting, they had my passport as well. So, I couldn't go anywhere wow. and that was really hard. Um, so, I couldn't even go back home if I wanted to. And there were many times throughout that first year where I just wanted to. I just wanted to be with my family and my friends and just, you know, London was really difficult. Um, and I got this letter back from the UK border agency saying that my application had been denied. Wow. They thought that my situation wasn't compassionate enough grounds <laughs> for accepting the visa. It was outside the post office where I picked up that envelope where I crashed mentally for the first time. It was like the final kick in the balls that I didn't need. You know, I'd gone through all this stuff and the UKBA were saying that I had to leave the country in 14 days. And I was a wreck. My friends couldn't even talk to me. I literally couldn't stop crying. I just hid. I just hid away. And it was my friend Gordon who called my GP and said that, you know, he was really worried about me and arranged an appointment and, I, and he took me down to my GP and I saw my GP and my GP just was like, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. He needs some help. Mm. And she diagnosed me with everything, post-traumatic stress disorder, acute anxiety, depression, like the whole lot just basically went down, went down the checklist and ticked all boxes. And yeah, she sent me off to a psychotherapist, which I saw for about four months. Wow. And kind of felt like that wasn't really helping. What psychotherapy wasn't for me. I was actually like probably getting more help through friends mm. and strangers. I had an amazing Pilates coach who became a great, you know, mentor to me and, and helped me through a lot of stuff. And then the silver lining in the attack is I met all these incredible people like Brandon, if it wasn't, I, you know, like nearly five years later, I'm now thanking myself for that event happened in my life because if it wasn't for that day, I would not have met the people that I've met in my life like since then, you know? Yeah. And so, in the darkest place, there's always a light, you know, you just, you got to find it, you know, and often in those dark places, you're alone. Nobody's going to find that light for you. You know, you got to find it yourself and, you know, uh, and, those, and those lights are people. To me, it was people, just meeting incredible people who supported me without any sense of they wanted anything from me. They just wanted me to get back on my feet and help me. And yeah. And so, one of my proudest things in life was I was nominated for this award um, through 
a charity trust up in Dunfermline in Scotland called the Carnegie Hero Trust. Now, you might be familiar with the name Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew Carnegie was a very, very, very well-to-do man. And during his life, um, at one point, he was, you know, wealthier than your Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson combined. Totally. You know, he he's still basically built New York, you know, and Carnegie Hall and everything else in between. Uh, But what he was the most fond about was helping people and supporting people who um, risked their lives for the life of others. So, he set up this, um, this hero trust. Way back in like 1900, I'm going to say the wrong date here, early 1900s, let's just say. And through the course of the Hero Trust, there's been 160 people nominated and inducted into this uh, Hero Trust. Wow. And I'm, I'm one of those no people. No way. And I had no idea. This is the first time I've ever spoken about this publicly. I've always sort of like kept that to myself, but- it's, you know, I have, I have this certificate on my wall and, and I look at it every day and it's a reminder of like what I did. And that is the biggest like silver lining is that I did this really proud thing, you know, and I should feel really, really proud about that. Yeah. And whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself or if I'm having a hard day and it's because, you know, my physical injuries have flared up or, you know, like I'm just you know, stressed and that can lead to this post-traumatic stress disorder, which I still like deal with, like even up until today. I look at those certificates. I remember what I did and and soon, you know, those feelings just fade away. And yeah, and then it's, so it's people like the Carnegie Hero Trust who I've met who have helped me and they're just wonderful people. And I would have loved to have met Andrew Carnegie. Mm, Me too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sounds like an incredible guy. Um, He was so fascinated with like, you know, why some people would literally put their lives on the line for others and others don't, you know, he was, he was very interested about that. So anyway, um, that is my attack in a nutshell. That was a very big nutshell. I think that went on for about 25 minutes. (laughs) Thank you for sharing though. I mean, that I know that that's not easy to talk about and I know that that was a really hard moment. Um, but that's something that I immediately admired about you is, First of all, the fact that you that you were attacked defending others and defending people with less strength than yourself. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. That you defended people who are vulnerable. Yeah, true. And I think that the courage you showed through the whole process of healing and recovery, even to today, is really beautiful and powerful the way that you've... I mean, you've got to overcome a lot. Um, and you have. Yeah. And you've remained optimistic and you're not a jaded person. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really um, chuffed with the way that I came out of it. I mean, it can go so many different ways when you're in, when you're in that, in the thick of that trauma. Yeah. And um, I, uh, there, there were days, I won't lie, there were days where I just thought I'm never going to recover from this. I'm never going to get back to my creativity. There, there, even when I was like really pushing myself, like trying to apply myself to get back into my art. And this was like, only three years ago, you know, there were two years where I was just like, creativity was like just gone. Um, and up until last year, I was still very much struggling with it. But now, and I'll get to that in a second, um, I'm like firing again. But um, 
I just remember through all those like dark times, just remembering I've been through probably not tougher situations than this, but tough situations. I went right back to when I was at like primary school and early high school getting bullied by kids. Mm. Like you wouldn't believe six foot six me got bullied at school, but I did like badly. You know, there was a point where I got like bashed so badly at school that, you know, I had a fractured eye socket, couldn't see out of my eye. And, you know, my mum and dad took us out of the school and that kid had to come around and apologize to me. But I was always the kind of kid that if somebody apologized to me, I'd accept it and they were my friend again, you know? Beautiful. And this kid came around to our house after school one day after seriously injuring me to apologize for what he did. And I shook his hand and just went, do you want to go outside and kick a football, you know? And that's just me. Like I've been like that my whole life. I, I'm, I'm not one to hold grudges. From the day after my attack, I forgave Sanchez Brown for what he did. I, I've said that in the press. I hope that it's like, you know, filtered its way through to him. Yeah. Um, at some point, I'd like to say it to his face. Um, there's part of me that wants to, you know, go and visit him at some point. Wow. But that's, you know, for another time. And so... All this like sort of stuff was was very challenging, very challenging, and it took a lot of strength. And another one of the silver linings from this whole ordeal was it showed me just how like deep my strength reserve is. And that is really, really like inspiring. And um and it and it's helped me through tough situations right up until the present time. And um, so, the creativity part, um, the, the problem with um, losing my creativity is I felt like I lost my, my identity. Because right? you'd held on to that since you were yes. super young. Exactly. Since I was like 16, this was who I am. I am an artist, right? Now, I was always um, unclear as to like, and still sort of, well, not anymore. I was always very unclear up until my attack, like where the artist me ended and where I started, you know, mm. or the other way around, where I as the person ended and the artist Timber started. Whereas now it's very clear. I know that I've almost separated my creativity and my personal self a little bit as a precaution to, you know, if I ever lose my creativity again, that I can still function as a person, Yeah, you know. Because your identity isn't rooted in it. Yeah, exactly. Because I really didn't function as a person at all for two years there, you know, and that was scary mm. as shit. And I never want to go through that again. And I would never want anybody else to. And so, I talk about this a lot, you know, in, in workshops and, and talks about the importance of like going, hey, cool, illustration's my life, art's my life, but just what happens when it's not there, you know, just you know, make sure that you like keep something in reserve, like for the times where, you know, you might go through something in your personal life that affects your creativity. Because I've always been really susceptible to the energy around me, like when it comes to my creativity, slightest little thing that's not right and my creativity just suffers. You know, it could be something like, uh, you know, my brother's going through a hard time or my girlfriend's going through a hard time or there's something really horrible in the news it it distracts me mm -hmm. and so this was the biggest distraction ever you know yeah and so yeah i've i've really learned a lot and i've made a lot of changes in my life and my career 
And I feel like I feel blessed because I've been given a second chance. This is like Timber version 2.0, you know? <laughs> um, like I was always very um, happy with who I was before, but I'm so much more happier in my life now as a person. Like I'm, I'm, there's not a lot that I don't like about myself, you know? And I think that's really important to be able to like look at yourself and go, you know what? Like you're well-rounded and you're doing good, you know? Just like keep, you know, just, just keep doing this. Yeah, I lost that for a couple of years, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I got that back because I was really worried that I, I you know, wasn't going to fish that out of the pond again. I'm so inspired by the way that you came out on the other side, and and I'm glad that you're able to see that that you're able to see that you're worth admiring. Like, I don't know if that's worth. I don't know if that's weird <laughs> to say because it's like talking about you. No, it's not. But it's like what a healthy thing to to acknowledge your strengths in the midst of darkness. Totally, man. Totally. I think it's, uh, oh, it's the right way to describe that. It's really powerful. It's a really powerful feeling to be able to find a golden nugget in a massive pile of shit, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, How Australian was that? That was amazing. That was perfect. (laughs) Um, and I'm applying that. I'm applying that now to my career um, and my life and my relationships with people. I mean, heck, I was always the type of person before my attack to invite a stranger to my going away party to meet my to meet my family. <laughs> I was always that type of person, right? But it's something that, like, I almost seek out now. I, I, I you know, I feel like I have a little bit of you in in me as well, Brandon. <laughs> and that is like, I just, I really like being around inspiring people. I haven't got like much time for like people who are just like sort of wasting their time Mm. because my time was threatened in such a big way, you know, that I I have like an acute radar for like time wasting. Yeah. And so, every minute and every hour that I'm here, I I need to be doing something meaningful, positive, creative and spending my time with like meaningful, positive, creative, inspiring people. And so, with that in mind, what have been some of the highlights of what you've been doing the last few years? Some of the things that you felt most proud to put your time and energy into the relationships you've yeah. most felt proud to be surrounding yourself with. Yeah. I mean, great question. Uh, there's, there's quite a number. I'll focus on two. Um, I guess some of my, my proudest moments over the last few years was, was joining uh, a company called the Church of London Publishing here in London. Which is um, not, in fact, a church. It is a... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a church. No, it's, it's, it's got nothing to do with religion. It's it's just, uh, you know, uh, magazines again, um, design, and we, and, we, and we do graphic design, illustration, and, and branded content for clients all around the world. So... I joined them in 2013. It wasn't something that I, that I was seeking. They just sort of happened to pop up at a right time in my life. Um, so, up until 2013, I'd always worked for myself. I'd never had an employer. I'd, I'd worked freelance. So I had contracts with like employers, but never like really a full-time job. And in 2013, it was two years after my attack and I was still very much like, you know, sort of unsure creatively. Um, I wasn't firing. I'd started doing some work and I'd been involved in an exhibition here and (laughs) done some client jobs, but nothing like really big, nothing to like really challenge myself. And let's just go back to 2012. My good friend Gordon, who helped me, 
out of a lot of shit who um, I mentioned earlier, he went through his own struggles. Mm. So, directly a year after my attack, he was around at my house and he had a uh, seizure. Wow. I didn't know what the hell it was at the time. And yeah, a couple of months later, we found out that he had a brain tumor. That was really messed up. And he's gone through a lot himself. We both have, uh, you know, at the same time and we've helped each other through a lot. Uh, in 2013, at the height of our frustrations, we decided to do something, something positive. So, we put on this huge exhibition called the Not For Rental Exhibition. And it was 220 artists and the exhibition was inspired by our love of film. And we decided that the medium would be VHS tapes. So, people no. were to design- yeah. So, people were to design an artwork based on a film they loved, but make it as if it was the box cover. And I love we that. set up, yeah, we set up a massive VHS video library at this gallery in East London called 71A. And little did I know that that would be like my home for the next three years up until mm. today. Um, so, we threw on this massive exhibition. It was a huge task. We pulled together like 250 artists and we had to like, you know, send 10 emails to each of those artists. So, you can do the math. That's a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we put on this like hectic show that, that just got the biggest turnout and the biggest like um, response from our audience and online and everybody like wrote about it. And it was really great for the both of us. If anything, it just, it was a nice positive distraction from everything that we were dealing with in our personal lives. And we teamed up with an organization called Art Against Knives, um, which is an organization that I've been involved with um, here and there out, uh, throughout the last few years, and Macmillan Cancer Support. Um, so, two charities that both myself and Gordon um, are really passionate about yeah. because they're, you know, connected to the things that we've been through. And yeah, we did workshops and we had some film nights and talks and it was incredible. And towards the end of the exhibition, um, the editor from one of the magazines upstairs came down and he was like, Timber, like, um, we're looking for somebody to design the next issue of our magazine because our creative team have disbanded and gone to start up another studio. And I said, I'd absolutely love to, but A, I'm not creatively firing at the moment. I'm doing this exhibition. Sorry. Um, and they were really desperate for somebody to do the cover. So, I said, look, I'll do the cover for you. And that's how it started. So, I did the mm. issue 48 cover of um, Little White Lies magazine and it was Matt Damon in the film Elysium, I remember. And I really struggled because that was the first like commercial job that I'd done since everything. And I've put a lot of pressure on myself. I remember drawing that picture going, it doesn't look like Matt Damon. I'm shit. I, I can't <laughs> draw anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I went through, I went through every emotion you can think of. And like, I've seen this cover and it's amazing. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> um, and I got through it and Everybody loved it. It got a really great um, response. And um, next thing you know, they're, they're, they're offering me to design the next issue again. Uh, so, they got somebody in like freelance to do the issue uh, 48, the, the whole magazine. And issue 49 is when I started with Little White Lies. And it's really funny that 
the first issue of Little White Lies that I did starred Kate Blanchett on the cover. No. And you and you might remember like my story earlier on about Kate Blanchett giving me the ticket to come to the UK. Now, I'm just a sucker for that like universe oh, stuff. Oh, that's beautiful. Like, this is meant to be. And I didn't illustrate Kate Blanchett myself because I felt like I yeah, wasn't really firing creatively yet and I felt like there was somebody who could do it justice and and I reached out to you know an, an, an old friend Kelly Thompson who's an amazing illustrator originally from New Zealand now living in uh, Australia and she just smashed it like and for the last three years I've been working at this great magazine Little White Lies and designing and also art directing other illustrators to create these beautiful covers and magazines based on our love of film. And it's never like really felt like a job because uh, I love movies. I love drawing, put two and two together. Well, that's a nice little slice of heaven pie right there. <laughs> and um, it's also an extension of what I really loved about working on my magazine back in the day. This is giving other illustrators and designers a platform to leap off. And I've loved my job, both drawing and illustrating the covers and the illustrations myself, but also giving young graduates and, 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 and local illustrators and emerging artists the chance to have their work shown, you know, in a, in a very credible magazine um, and, and on the world map as well. Beautiful. And that's like, so, that, that's something I've always been really proud of with like, you know, my, my career is that it hasn't just been about me. It's been about, you know, so many, so many amazing talented, like creative people who I've had the pleasure to meet in person or online and collaborated with and talked to and learned from, and hopefully they've learned something from me. And yes, yeah, been a really great journey. So that's been like, you know, one of the, big, huge positive uh, changes in my life in the last like three years. That's been really great for me. And it came along at the right time when I needed to be around people, inspiring people because up until 2013, I was just seeing my girlfriend and my cousin and Gordon. <laughs> That's it. You know, my family were all back in Australia. Um, and so, being around a whole bunch of new inspiring people who are all doers and makers was really good. It, it allowed me to come out of my shell again. I learned so much. I learned so much still. You know, everybody at work is is always able to surprise you. The other thing that I, I'm probably most proud of over the last few years, and I touched upon this when I talked about working with an organization called Art Against Knives. There's another organization that I've worked with over the last few years as well called Saracens. Now, Saracens is a charity that's set up to sort of intervene with young kids at risk of turning to crime by using football and sports. Wow. Art Against Knives. Yeah, Art Against Knives is, is probably a little bit more um, self-explanatory. They use art to intervene with, with uh, young kids at, at threat of turning to crime. So, I've worked with them. I've done workshops like with Art Against Knives. I've been involved in exhibitions with them. I've talked to a lot of like, you know, their kids that they sponsor. And same thing with Saracens. I've, I've been in with Saracens. It's a little bit more heavy. It's like I, I've been involved in reenactments where I've, you know, gone to sort of a, a theater set up in a park and there are kids invited from local colleges and there's police and paramedics on site and there's a 
there's an ER room set up. It looks like the real thing. And a reenactment goes down from the, from the moment a fight erupts to somebody being stabbed uh, to them getting rushed to the hospital and in the ER room and that kid losing his life and the doctors explaining why. And yeah, I've sat through these reenactments and then I'm invited to come up on stage after that reenactment as somebody who went through that whole ordeal and talk to them about the ripple effect that it's had on my life as a survivor and the ripple effect that it's had on everybody that I know in a, in a way to like make these, um, you know, these young kids like think before they act. Totally. You know? And it, I would imagine that when you're in a situation where you're willing to stab someone, you're also in a situation where you're, where the people around you aren't, they've lost their humanity, you know, and that's a result of so many yeah. things. And I would imagine this experience of hearing from you brings that humanity back into their life. You know, it may, totally. it almost brings color back into their world. Totally, man. Totally. And I'm full of color, you know, I love color. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's, that's um, a real powerful like tool and skill that I have at my disposal is this experience allows me to, to be able to like connect and be very direct in, um, in, 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 in ways to overcome these, these issues, you know, is violent crime. And I want to get involved in that more. Like I, I really want to, you know, step that up. I want to start doing more and more talks, more and more workshops, but at the moment, like I'm still just very much getting back on my feet. Yeah. Um, the dust, the dust is settled. I'm back on the saddle. Um, I just want to ride for a bit, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, before I like kind of said about that because it can be quite draining on oh, me, yeah. um, physically and mentally. I remember, you know, like after that, after those few reenactments that I did, like for for a couple of days after, I'm just exhausted. Yeah, um, as you should be. And I guess just with my job and my responsibilities at the moment and um, at work and also in my private life with my freelance work, I can't afford to like, you know, have two days where I'm just absolutely wiped from talking about this really um, emotional subject matter. Yeah. man. And with that said, once again, I'm incredibly honored that you um, exerted the, the mental energy and the, the work that it takes to rehash this and to, to process through this and um i just really admire the fact that you haven't let fear stop you from doing things and you haven't let the pain stop you and you've just continued to push for relationships and impact and creativity despite all of this like once again thank you uh thanks man i mean that means a lot and i mean um it's yeah, I sometimes find it hard to put it into words, but uh, I, I know that we've like spoken mostly in this conversation about, about my event, but also about how it's you know um, triggered uh, silver linings and 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 also things I've learned about myself creatively. So I know that you know we've talked a lot more than just about that, but um, yeah, I just I I enjoy talking about it now. Good. It's not something that I'm. 
I, I tiptoe around on uh, around of. I know that this uh, can be inspiring to others, and so it's something that I feel like I should share because it might, you know, help somebody else who's going through like a really dark time and uh, looking for that light. And heck, if like my story is that light, then awesome. You know that something to be proud of. Beautiful. On that note, um, I'd love to transition to every single episode. I ask three questions to every single guest. And my first question is, how would you describe the kind of person you most admire in the world? And actually, now that I think about this, I would love to ask this in two parts. One, you have this beautiful, amazing gallery show that Sammy and I went and saw when we were in Melbourne called Role Models. And it's really cool. It's this beautiful art where you've basically shown some of your favorite actors Actually, I'll let you describe it because I'm sure you can describe it better than me. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I, I would love to hear you speak a little bit to these larger-than-life role models as well as just in general the kind of person that you most admire in the world. Yeah, sure, man. No problems. I mean, the exhibition Role Models came about through my love of film and how I've grown up on a very, very, very healthy diet of movies. And... Um, <laughs> uh, and I just thought one day, very deep, almost like stoner thoughts, like, wow, what if I, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, never lived? What if Bill Murray, like, never lived? Or if they did, what if they weren't who they were? Would I be the person that I am? Mm. Like, because over the years, like, 25, like, 30 years conditioning watching movies, that has had some effect on me. Uh, Just through... Some of the things that I say, silly voices that I do, the way that I communicate with people, um, I like to think that I learn a lot of these things from the movies that I grew up with and the actors that portrayed the characters in these films. So, I set about doing this exhibition called Role Models, which is inspired by all of my favorite movie characters and all my favorite actors. And they're compositionally, they're put together like an exquisite corpse illustration. So, it's taking, you know, the torso, uh, the the shoulders and neck and the top of the head uh, of different subjects and then mixing them together to create a new character. Um, so, I would take, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's head from Conan, uh, his, his, the middle part of his face from Terminator and then his, his torso from um, Twins. And going, voila, a whole new Arnold Schwarzenegger character, you know? Um, and the fun part was at the gallery, it was interactive. And so, yeah. we had these little sheets where it would, like you would try to guess what movies uh, you were referencing in each one of these things. And I'll be honest, Sammy and I did it terrible. We, <laughs> we got... I'd say we got less than 50% of them, um, but that's just a lack of our of our movie knowledge. And it was so fun, though. It was such a cool experience being there and seeing other people around us geeking out yeah. about all of these role models. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the trivia, like the quiz sheet was like so much fun. It was something that I thought of like late, late in the planning stages. And I went, there's 10 artworks there's 30 films that are referenced throughout those 10 artworks. Like, I wonder if people could guess them. And yeah, I put together this quiz sheet. And there were a couple of people that got really close, but then there was one guy that got them all right. No. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. And, he, and he, got a, he got a free print of um, Bill Murray. Dang. So, um, lucky him. 
And, and um, the, the other, like, you know, sort of really fun thing was, you know, getting to watch these films again <laughs> and um, some that I hadn't seen in a while. And then also, you know, like on the opening night, I had popcorn and, you know, just really sort of themed the exhibition around my love of movies. And it all goes back to, you know, my mum. Like, I, I vividly remember my mum saying this one day, like, boy, if you could remember your homework as well as you remember lines from movies, you'd be like a rocket scientist. <laughs> and so, yeah, outside, outside of like art and design, and, and snowboarding, like I love to snowboard, um, like movies are my next like favorite thing to like consume. Like I, I just love watching film. And so, and so, yeah, like work, working at Little White Lies is like just such a, such a mm. awesome like gift. Um, so, I mean, to answer the other part of like your question, I mean, my, my favorite type of person is a role model. You know, role models come in all different like shapes and sizes. So I had like two amazing wow. role models at high school. I talked about them earlier, Mr. Ba- Mr. Barron and Mr. Flanders. Like so much so that I've created a little brand for myself, which I haven't yet launched, and it's inspired by their names. <laughs> um, but then I had a role model during my um, rehabilitation after my attack in a, in my an amazing fellow called. Uh, Johnny Kennett, and he was my Pilates coach, and he was my psychotherapist <laughs> as well. And then you know, there's like uh, role models at work, and yeah, my my favorite type of person is somebody who goes out of their way to do something for other people without any expectation. You know? Beautiful, like a mentor, a role model type. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, sort of strive to be one of those myself. So, I, th- I think this transitions actually really perfectly because you love movies so much. Um, I want to know, like, what are you consuming right now that's really inspiring you? You know, what's a movie that you absolutely recommend? Oh, well, at the moment, like, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched a film um, all week uh, probably for the last two, <laughs> probably for the last two weeks. I thought you were going to say like, oh, I haven't watched a movie in a year. Like it's just, it's, no, <laughs> I haven't watched a movie in a week. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> no, I haven't watched a, a like a good movie in, in a, in a couple of weeks. Right. But, um, cause I've been totally consumed on this stranger things TV show. Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's like reliving my eighties all over again. <laughs> my child, my childhood. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah, my girlfriend and I finished that last night. It was uh I tried to like consume it as slowly as possible, but it was so good we finished it in a week. Um which I think is pretty good because some people at my work like finished it in a night. Oh, you know, and I was yeah, like, Yeah, that's wow. what all my friends did. And I'm still going. I haven't finished yet. I'm loving it, but I'm Sammy doesn't like the Sammy doesn't like scarier stuff as much. And so I've been watching it alone. And so I've been kind of just slowly chugging along when I get a free minute here and there. And uh, yeah. it's incredible. It's so beautifully done. The story's great. Um, it's so Visually good. compelling. Oh, it's just, I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was super impressed, like super impressed. Um, but I think, I think a film, like the last film that I saw I've seen loads of films this year, but I think the last film that has just really stuck with me because um, just really sweet and beautiful. And I, I love Kate Blanchett, but Carol, the film that we covered uh, for Little White Lies just before Christmas, gone. 
oh, it's just so beautiful. I mean, it just like totally rubs me up the right way. It's it's set in the era that I love the most. Um, you know, like the fifties and sixties, which is where I pull a lot of my inspiration from for my mm-hmm. art. So I'm just watching this movie, going, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This is gorgeous!" Oh my gosh, did you see that in the background? Hang on, I've got to rewind that and like pause that and draw that. Hang on, <laughs> you know, um, to the performances themselves, like from Rini Mara and Kate Blanchett, and it's just so sweet. It's just such a beautiful love story. That's great. That's a that's a really good recommendation. Have you not seen it yet? I've not seen it yet. I, oh boy, I legitimately You're love it. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm looking jealous. forward to seeing it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous that you haven't seen it. <laughs> Man, I'm yeah, I'm psyched about it. Um, the last question I want to ask you is, based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live your life differently, what's one thing you'd encourage a listener to do in their own life today? Oh, I just think live without fear. Um, experiment without fear creatively. Um, I think, you know, fear is becoming a bit of a, bit of a problem word. I think that, you know, if you can just put aside all your worries and concerns about like, you know, what, what, what people are going to think about this drawing or what are people going to think if I say this, that's, you know, just going to hold you back. And, you know, I can say this on a much huger level and I don't recommend everybody like doing it, but don't be afraid to like step in and stick up for people who are, you know, in trouble. Um, That's beautiful. You know, we're going to help each other out. Man, live without fear and don't be afraid to step in. Well, with that said, Timba, thank you so much for being a part of Sounds Good. Thank you so much for inviting me out for, for chicken parmas. And thank you so much for being somebody that I admire. Thank you very much, Brandon. I mean, you know, ditto, ditto, man. I, I really really loved that you and Sammy walked into my lives and we'll see each other soon, I hope. Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between me, Brandon Harvey, and Gradient. Check them out at gradient.is. That's gradient.is. I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning into the podcast this week. If this is your first time listening, please hit the subscribe button and tune in for next week's episode. If you've been listening for a while now, you're the best. Thank you so much to everyone who's been sharing these stories of inspiring people with their friends. And another huge thank you to the 125 of you. Hold on, wait, let me check. 126 of you who have given the show a review on iTunes in the United States. And also thank you to the hundreds more of you who rated the show outside of the United States. It's in a different list. I don't know how it works. But anyway, you are all the best. If you want to follow along with Timba's story and see more of his work, check him out on Instagram and Twitter at, at @timbasmiths and at his website, timbasmiths.com. As always, you can click the links in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or at brandonharvey.com. If you want to follow along with my photos, Snapchats, words, and stories in general, you can find me on all of your favorite social media platforms. My name is at Brandon Harvey everywhere. And that's Brandon with an E-N. And with that, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. I'll see you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another inspiring person. Sound good?